Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Never the Same. I'm your host, Jordan Chu. And that was the scariest thing, is like realizing that I had no identity if it wasn't attached to another company or another person. And I, I just, I disintegrated. Hey everyone, I'm back. Life, uh, life honestly got pretty full there for the past few months. Um, I started a new job and that just kind of sucked up all my, uh, my energy and time. So no complaints, uh, really happy with it, but finally just got to sit down to edit some of these episodes that I recorded this fall. And honestly, I'd forgotten how good these were, um, especially today. So it just feels really nice to, to pick this back up again and um, to be able to put these stories out into the world. So thank you so much for bearing with me. Today's episode is with the lovely Alexandra Silver-Fagan. Um, some of you may know her from the fitness world. She's a Nike master trainer, an on-screen yoga and strength coach, and she currently teaches her personal blend of mindfulness and movement at Open, uh, which happens to be one of my favorite companies. So her story is uh, its one that people will probably find both familiar and um and completely unique. Um, she found a lot of success at an early age and she had a pretty perfect life uh, for the eyes of her friends and her followers. Yet when those external validations started to dissolve, it left her in a pretty dark place. Um, she was questioning who she was, battling her mental health, and that journey took her to her absolute rock bottom. That experience, um, which she shares here with a lot of vulnerability and grace, has reshaped how she looks at the world, what she values, and ultimately who she is today. I personally couldn't help but find an incredible number of similarities between her story and Lee's. Um, so it was incredible to, to sit down with somebody who had been in much the same position and whose story turned out thankfully so different and to be able to ask questions and really dive in and try to better understand what it was that um, really helped her able to to make that that 180. So beyond that, we also dive into the power of vulnerability and where to draw the line with what you share, the illusion of social media and how everyone is fighting a battle you can't see, and the magic of saying yes and where that can take you. This conversation was a pleasure to have and revisiting it felt a little bit like finding a treasure that I forgot I had. So um, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's see where this goes. Sandra. <laughs> oh, hello, Jordan. How are you? I am doing well. I am excited to be here. I am so inspired by your work and creating a space for people to be vulnerable because I've been working on sharing my vulnerability for a long time and figuring out how exactly to do that. So 
it's an honor to be here and be able to do that with you. You you just took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say that I was inspired by your vulnerability and your your sharing of your story. And um, so it feels like a mutually good fit to be here. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for people who are just meeting you for the first time, who is Alexandra Silver Fagan? <laughs> well, Alexandra usually goes by Alex Silver Fagan. And what I learned over the past year is that I've created an identity and this archetype as Alex and this fitness girl and Instagram influencer. And as I've come through and on the other side of, I would say my, my adolescence, my youth and stepping more into myself as a woman, um, I've discovered that I'm much more than just that identity that I had created that most people had learned and gotten close to from the time I was 23 until now, I'm 31. And now Alexandra is somebody who somebody who honors and cultivates connection for other people, for ourselves with our bodies, um, for ourselves with spirit, and just in constant search of communication. Uh, nope. In constant search of connection. Connection. <laughs> and, I mean, connection happens through communication, so. True. Or you <laughs> can just clip that part out, but, you know, that's what I do. <laughs> um, you're not wrong. Um, so, you know, when I, when I think about moments that have changed us, um, you know, things that we've gone through, things that people will look at you and be like, oh, you're so strong for, for having come through that. Um, I, I have kind of a different opinion on, on strength and what that is, but I know you've, you've spent a lot of time thinking about strength. Um, you have a training manual called Get Strong. Um, your, your philosophy of movement is flow into strong. So, so tell, me, tell me a little bit about how you view strength and um, maybe how that's kind of changed over the years. And my whole, my whole life has been about feeling strong. So I grew up without true parental guidance and figures. I mean, I, I did grow up in a house with my mom, and but my dad was gone. And, um, and that's bounced back and forth between which parent or who I was looking up to. And so I very quickly learned that I had to find my own, uh, my own safety and my own security in myself, which has been challenging. But uh, through that, it's been this idea of strong, like I can handle anything and that came forth uh, very literally uh, towards the end of college when I was partying and I was a bottle waitress and then I realized this wasn't actually very healthy and I got interested in in weightlifting and feeling strong and the moment that I started doing that I was like whoa this is the the actual the actual experience of what I'm so desperately craving of okay I I can do this I can lift this I can feel powerful and capable and I never felt that before I felt really powerless and, um, very much like a victim. And so constantly practicing strength allowed me to not be the victim, but practicing strength and physically doesn't actually change the mental experience. So we can practice it and feel it, but then you're not in the gym or you're not on your yoga mat and those feelings still come up. So, um, I think what was great is that my, my moment that really shifted it for me was that I realized my mental health couldn't actually be 
handled through my strength training and through the, the methods that I shared with everybody else and that I actually needed to take a break and really look at my mental health. And so, um, the end of 2020, having gone through a really hard pandemic and a hard few years before that, I reached my breaking point. Like I completely, all of the, the, everything I thought I was just no longer existed anymore. And we can get into the specifics of that later on, but I found myself in the darkest place of my life and I could either end it or raise my hand and say that I was hurting. And I was actually, it was a little bit of an intervention, so I didn't necessarily fully raise my hand on my own accord, but thank God that I had other people around there to support. Um, and so going into treatment and coming out, realizing that, okay, I actually got to re reestablish what strong means now. And so before it used to be the achievements, um, uh, being as strong as I could in the gym. And now it's honesty. Mm-hmm. Strength is honesty. It's not necessarily your vulnerability. That's a part of it, but it's like being honest with whatever you're feeling in the moment and, and being strong enough to handle whatever that is. Being able to handle it from both like what the world throws at you and like what comes up from within you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you, you speak a lot about boundaries too. And that, that to me is like been a, a kind of newfound source of strength, like being able to say no, like I'm a total people pleaser. Like I like people to be happy. So being able to like put up a boundary and then actually hold it, like makes me feel stronger than almost anything like, that I used to do in the gym or, or strength wise. Yeah. I think boundaries are boundaries allow you to understand yourself more. Um, I, I, I've only recently been good at yeah. yeah. How's, how's your strength coming with your boundaries? Oh, um, well, I'm also, I, I have deep FOMO. So, oh yeah. Get those notes. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. You're- no, you're great. I, well, one of my core wounds is that I want to feel chosen and I want to mm. feel like I'm a part of the experience, whatever it is. And so not having boundaries and saying yes to everything was great. It it actually changed my life after treatment. I took, I turned 30 and then I was like, I am going to say yes to everything that came my way. And it's what's led me to Los Angeles from New York. Um, but now I'm starting to be a little bit more discerning. So I'm recognizing that I actually have to preserve my energy or else I will fall back into a dark place. And so, um, I think practicing my boundaries has actually come out of necessity of, of finding that I was actually starting to burn the candle on both ends. And, um, I don't want to go back to that dark place. And the cool thing is, and my therapist in treatment said this, like, once you come here, you don't have like, yes, you can go back to treatment, but once you've hit your dark place, you actually, you don't have to come back to the dark place. It can still feel dark, but you're never going to hit that rock bottom again. Like you're, you're, you hit it. You, you did. And so, I'm trying not to hit that again. (laughs) Is there a sense of almost security or safety in knowing that like you did hit that rock bottom and that that was something that you can only go up from? Yes. And it can also be, uh, it can also be a lot of pressure. Mm. So I found this actually the past few months, which is why I've taken more of a focus on my boundaries and, and preserving my mental health is that once you go to treatment and I've talked to other people who have been there too, or once you raise your hand and then you come out, 
it's almost like, oh, you did it. You've healed. And mm. so then you, there's this internal pressure of, I can't actually be sad again. Mm. Like I've done it. I've healed. And I felt that pressure on social media because once I shared that I had gone through treatment and I was depressed and I did deal with panic and then I have come out, who am I to now be upset if I say that I'm having a depressed day, right? Like you're human. <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> and we're also allowed to feel conflicting emotions at the exact same time. Um, but I didn't feel like I actually could. And so the past few months I was finding that I would be really sad or I'd be like, or feel like I was struggling and I, it was almost like the girl who cried wolf. I felt like I couldn't actually reach out or say something. And I've now learned that I have a really great group of support and therapists and all the things, but, um, we have to get over that, that pressure. So yes, it's a safety and security, but also it can be, it can be detrimental. Do you feel like that was equally true with your, your close friends as well as like versus people that just saw your life online? Like, yeah, I think when you, when you reach out to your same like best friends about being upset, mm -hmm we don't ever want to be a burden to other people. And so, and I think that's actually why many people don't get help is because they don't, they, they don't want to put that on others. And so if I'm constantly calling my best friend when I'm having a panic attack all the time, um, I start to feel like, well, I can't have, I can't put that on her anymore, yeah. which is why we have therapists, we have professionals. <laughs> and so, um, I've also, done my fair share of being in therapy, coming out of therapy, going back. Um, I probably always need to be in therapy. I think. <laughs> and some people just have to. So, yeah. So when I, when I started learning more about your story, it really, um, it brought up a lot for me just in terms of seeing similarities between you and Lee on the surface. You guys are successful. You're living the dreams, you, the, the lives that you want. You have a lot of people who follow you and look up to you. Um, you know, a lot of people would trade lives, I think, in, in kind of a heartbeat. And one of the things that I really admire both about you as, as well as about Lee was that even though she had kind of this picture-perfect life, she was really open and honest about letting people know that it wasn't all perfect and it's not all the shiny Instagram and that even somebody who's living a life that looks great on the surface can really can be struggling. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious when you started to feel like showing the cracks and showing, you know, the, the imperfections was, was actually something that you wanted to do. You wanted to move into rather than just kind of crafting the, the shiny, perfect Instagram life. Uh, yeah, I started sharing that I was depressed well before I went to treatment. And the, What's challenging about that is there's also this like vulnerability vortex that once you share and you dig something up, then people just want more and you start digging, you keep digging. And then all of a sudden you get, um, you, you get notoriety for sharing about pain. Mm. And I found, I, I felt like I was in that where, oh, I, people would say, I love you. You're so relatable. You're so vulnerable. And I am. Um, and so it, it was this constant like back and forth of, am I oversharing? What should I be sharing? If I share that I'm happy, does that mean that the pain isn't real? If I share that I'm sad, is that all that I am? And so, um, 
it started to be a lot of back and forth and it was really challenging to keep up whatever image they were different, um, that I was creating. And, um, and I also got big on Instagram when we weren't doing reels and like quick viral things. It was, you post a photo and you'd write, like Mm. I would write paragraphs underneath as my captions. And you're a great writer, by the way. Thank you. Um, unfortunately I'm, I'm having trouble with the TikTok and the real and the viral <laughs> stuff. I feel like I'm, my 16 year old, uh, cousin is trying to help me out. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm like, I just want to write on Instagram. No one reads things anymore. Um, I, I feel you deeply on that. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's such a weird place because we, social media is real. Like there's an entire world that exists, but we just live in both worlds and you just can't, you literally cannot show every moment of real life on the internet. And so I I think just constantly checking in with myself of saying like, this is, this is where I am right now in this moment. And it's not where I am all the time allowed me to be okay with sharing. But, um, when I, yeah, before I went to treatment, I had the perfect or it looked like the perfect life. I was, I had a full-time fitness job. I was on camera. Um, I had a great group of friends in the city. I was engaged to somebody who I thought was my soulmate and is technically like one of my soulmates. Um, we were very popular in the New York fitness world. And then also it, just in the fitness world in general, cause he's on a very public platform. He's on Peloton and we were like the fitness Barbie and Ken. And, um, <laughs> we were, it was just, everything looked really perfect. And the, what I learned is like, it was, I thought it was an oil painting and you got really close up and it was just this digital print and everybody only saw the oil painting because I was just sharing Mm -hmm. things that were just little highlights, which is what social media is. And what was really wild is, um, no one knew that we had broken up when we had, because it was during the pandemic and, um, we also ended up being quarantined together. And so I was, I wasn't really sharing the full truth. And I was also still doing Instagram lives with other companies. And I would have these like blinding panic attacks and then show up on social media and no one had any idea. And that was when it, that, that doing that started to hurt me even more like that. Then I really felt like I was living a lie. Yeah, you're living two two parallel but very different lives. Right. And I, I felt like I had to keep up this image because then if I had just said that I was struggling, no one would actually believe me because they're looking at something that looks good. And I, I never met Lee and I wish that I had, but I can imagine that that can be that can be a feeling even when you are sharing like that things can be hard, but you're still showing people, you're still showing up, you're still performing. And so then yeah, you're performing and then you just like crumble completely by yourself. Um, and I didn't even really share that I was fully struggling until I think a month after treatment. I, um, I just took a break. I took a hiatus. It's like, I'm out for a little bit. Um, and then when I came back, I was able to, to reset and really think about if this was what I was going to share. And it felt, it felt weird not to share that I had been in a treatment facility. Was it scary? to be in treatment or to share? Great question. I assume (laughs) I was going to assume that going to treatment was scary, but I shouldn't assume anything. So yeah, how was, and and before we even go there, let's, (laughs) let's take a step back. Um, 
I was reading something that you wrote recently and, and you described your, your kind of perfect life dissolving, which I thought was a really beautiful, like metaphor for like kind of sinking something into water and just watching it all like fade away. So I don't want to bring you too far back, but can you give us a little bit of context on like, you described your life, like what was the dissolution? Like how did it all start kind of coming apart? So I was, I was 23 when I was hired as a Nike master trainer, a baby. And from that moment, and I had already been working with bodybuilding.com and then I was teaching fitness classes in the city. And I was then on the cover of magazines. I was a Wilhelmina fitness model. I was in this relationship. Like I was a baby. I didn't even know who I was. I had no true identity. And that comes from earlier on. And then all of a sudden I was being told who I was and I was getting money and status for it. And I just kind of kept up with this perfect life. And when the pandemic happened, um, you know, I was in this relationship and we all kind of stopped working and uh, he and I knew that we weren't getting married, but we were still quarantined together. And I just slowly started to see the labels start to fall away. So um, I had chosen to leave mirror, which was the fitness company I was at because I had another opportunity somewhere else. Um, my friends moved out of the city. I didn't have a chance to go. And, and what I talked about earlier of like feeling strong, I didn't have any true access to it except for being in our little container in our house. And that didn't really get me the release that I needed, even though we had a barbell in our house <laughs> and a squat rack, like we made sure that was cap- that was hap- happening. Um, And actually the disillusion started when I got my dog, Kali, and who's who's here (laughs) hanging out with us. And for your listeners who don't know the Hindu goddess deity, Kalima, that's who I named her after. Mm. And I actually didn't even realize the power of her when I named her. So Kalima is the goddess of destruction. She destroys all evil. She is pictured as this terrifying image holding a, a severed head, the, the sword that she used to cut the head off, and she's got bones dripping down her and blood everywhere, and her tongue is out, and she's terrifying. And, uh, but she's destroying the evil and the, and the bullshit that we think we want, that our ego wants. And once you surrender to her, she's actually the most powerful love and motherly love that you've ever experienced. And so I got my dog and I'm training her. Who looks nothing like that. No, she's very (laughs) cute. She looks like a little cow, which is actually like in Hindu. It actually, maybe she is Kali. Um, but, uh, so I got Kali and I started training her and I was saying Kalima, Kalima all the time. And even if you're not spiritual or not, for me, I started invoking the energy of the goddess into my life and very slowly things started to go away. So I left my job. Um, my ex and I really started like the, we really started pulling apart energetically from each other. And it was very uncomfortable to live in the same home. Um, the job that I had left mirror for fell away, um, for reasons related to the relationship. And, I, everything that my ego was obsessed with and also the social media identity of like, I didn't know what to share anymore. So not only I didn't have my full-time career as a fitness professional, I no longer had my relationship. I no longer had this true identity on social media and I was alone. And 
every label that I had started receiving from the time I was 23 till I was um, 27 at this point was gone. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what was underneath. And that was the scariest thing is like realizing that I had no identity if it wasn't attached to another company or another person. And I, I just, I disintegrated. Mm -hmm. He moved out and I was alone in this apartment and with Kali. And I knew, I knew before he left, before the job went away, I knew that none of that was actually for me because Mm -hmm. we have a knowing, we have a deeper intuition. And if you actually, and for those who do practice, you know, I've had a yoga practice for years. It's strength practice. Like I, I know I can feel it. Um, but when the ego is louder and you want to hold on to what looks good, you fight, you fight what you know is real. And the fighting is what actually put me in my dark place. It was the mm. resistance to the truth. And I fought like I fought physically. I was hurting myself. I was breaking things in the apartment. Uh, emotionally, I would just like completely turn off and, and, and being when you see like a kid having a full temper tantrum, it was that, but mm. as an adult, as a woman in my space and it was happening all the time. And, um, you know, think I'm so grateful that I had my therapist and my acupuncturist and my family intervene. And I had, I'd gone to my acupuncturist because she, she was still, she was practicing towards the end of the pandemic and the end of 2020. And I went in for treatment and I had, I had, told, I had told my therapist a few, like a few days or a week before that we had a lot of pills in the house and I wanted to count them to make, and like do the math to make sure that I could do it. And I told my therapist cause I, I didn't want to do it. I was just like, I had no help. And she ended up telling my acupuncturist, I went in for a session. She did the session and then she stood in the doorway before I left. And she said, you you have to stay here and research and find a treatment facility or I've been told to call an ambulance and they'll take you to, to the hospital here in New York. Take as much time as you need and whatever you choose is fine. Like you're okay either way, but I'll give you the space to make that choice, to research, to do what you need to do. I went in at 9 a.m. I left at 2 p.m. that day having called and researched and found facility um, in California, which were is you, also... Yeah. Were you resistant to, to doing that? Or, was to it, what, or did it feel like, oh, somebody's holding the space for me to actually like take this next step? I mean, it was the lesser of two evils of like, I was scared shitless to get, get called in an ambulance to go to the hospital. And I'd also talked to my therapist and she was like, you don't want to be there. Like it's, it's not going to, it's not going to feel supportive and safe. Um, so that was scary. The thought of going somewhere and also the like fully raising my hand and surrendering and saying defeat was really scary because even though I'd been vulnerable for so long, I, I've, I'm strong. I show everyone I'm strong. I flow into strong. I teach you how to flow into strong. And so even if things are hard and I've shared that they're hard, I can always pull myself out. And this was the first time where I was like, I can't do this on my own. Like, oh my God, I'm really not. I thought in the moment, I was like, I'm really not as strong, mm. which is not true. Not true, but yeah. Would you say until that point you'd, I mean, you, you kind of just alluded, you'd never really asked for help. That was the first like big, big time raising your hand. It was the first real time of like, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this. And I was, I was really scared. 
Um, but I was also scared because of the, the idea that we all have of a treatment facility. Sure. Um, like you think it's where the crazy people go or that it's really sterile. And some of them are like that. Some aren't. And when I got there, it actually, well, first of all, we're all a little crazy. <laughs> um, but second of all, it's, it's just nearly everybody right now is struggling and nearly everybody back then, especially towards the end of 2020 was struggling. And I just raised my hand. That's the only difference. I just raised my hand. Um, I will say though that treatment and that 30 days didn't actually heal me. Hmm. Um, also I don't think you're ever not healed versus healed, but that felt like a really nice pause to look at what I was struggling with and who I was and to, to work on that and have space and to not talk to anybody and to, to be in my own emotions and to be able to cry and scream. And it was okay. Like if I was, if I was in a pissy mood because I didn't want to be there and I was rude to somebody who was working there. I'm not saying it's okay to be rude to somebody. Like they all understood Mm -hmm. it was okay. I could feel whatever I was feeling. I think a lot of the, the deep healing and the work has happened after. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did it feel to kind of come out of that pause where you felt really held and supported to then go back into the rush of the room? the real world. I tried to literally do exactly what I was doing before, which was I started building a fitness app. I started writing these books. I was like, Oh, I'll just achieve, achieve. And then I'll get love. And, um, I hit another wall. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up actually doing an MDMA assisted therapy session, uh, February 5th. So I came out of treatment, uh, December 30th, right before the new year. And then I guess a full month later I had burnt out again and I was working with a therapist who was able to offer this for me. That session was, I found more beneficial than my time in treatment, which was just like, yay for medicine. Amazing. (laughs) Um, was that your first time with any sort of, uh, medicine assisted therapy with, um, yes ish. So I, what really started this whole journey for me was working with a plant called Bufo. Mm. It's not a plant, actually. It's a, a frog. Um, it's from Bufo alvarius, which is a toad in the Sonoran Desert. And um, they excrete the toad venom. And that's dried and then smoked. And I had only done... My experience with psychedelics was very, very limited. Um, I also used to have the stigma around drugs don't you don't do them um like i did i did cocaine and mdma in in college and then realized oh you can't do that because then i became a fitness girl and um like zero or a hundred with me like always and uh my my past partner had a different experience with with substances and um, i judged for a while and we ended up doing a mushroom trip just silly and fun um it was so much fun so I went from one experience with mushrooms to then um, Bufo came into my space. I had a, a really dear friend of mine who had worked with a doctor, a psychologist in the city who was also serving this medicine. And she was like, I think this is going to be good for you. And if you don't know what Bufo is, uh, it's called the God Molecule. And it's it's 5-MeO-DMT. And it, we actually have it in our spinal cord. 
And it's released, they say, at three moments when you're born, when you die, or for women when you give birth. Hmm. And it shuts off all of the parts of your brain that hold your ego and you just become part of consciousness. Like you just, you doesn't exist in the experience. So um, I went from just a, a silly little mushroom trip to to blasting off into the universe. And I would say that was my first experience with like a um, medicine-assisted therapy, although it was a ceremony, not, not mm. a therapy container. What do you think it was that was so powerful about the MDMA therapy that kind of could be held up against 30 days of treatment and, and more effective? MDMA is a magical, magical <laughs> substance. And it it allows you to feel things fully without getting pulled into the the depth of that emotion. So... You know, you're it's you, you're allowed to love all of the emotion. It literally just allows you to love everything. And when you're that deep with MDMA, and also have a guide, like a trained therapist, to guide you through the the dark emotions, I had deep love for my my pain. I had so much love for this little girl Alex who who never felt love from her mother, and who just was constantly looking for attention. And I no longer felt ashamed to be her. I instead was like, oh my God, I love her so much. And that was the magic. It was being able to love all of the darkness and the pain. And I still have to remind myself to love all of it because it's it's dark. It's dark. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's really amazing to hear you say that because learning to, to love the pain is such... I think it was kind of a, such an abstract concept to me when I first heard that. Um, I think I heard it through a, a Ram Das quote and okay. Like how can you, how can you love this thing? That's like hurt you so much. Right. And I think I started wrapping my brain around it when I realized that, you know, even as I was coming through something that just absolutely rocked my world, I was really starting to appreciate the person I was becoming on the other side of it. And you can't appreciate that person without also appreciating like what it was that, you know, kind of was the catalyst for that change. Um, and you know, there are days when I think to myself like, Oh, I would gladly take, you know, the version of Jordan back that didn't know, you know, this big pain, this big loss, you know, the, the amount of just energy that's gone into, to feeling so deeply and questioning so many things like, I could have spent that on a lot of other things, but when I really like sit with it, I'm not sure I would, you know, and that doesn't mean, you know, in my specific case, like I wouldn't change what happened. Like I would do that in a heartbeat. Um, but since we can't change it, <laughs> you can either, or we can either decide to, to resent it and to, to constantly wish it didn't happen and push back and wish we could go back to our old selves or we can sit with it and be like, Hey, look, you know, I'm going to turn out differently on the other side of this, but I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully be a, a more well-rounded, a, a more empathetic, a, a kinder person that, you know, if I like that, I have to like what, what got me there. Yeah. I, yeah. Wow. Um, it's also, it's a choice. Um, and what I'm, what I've learned with my mental health and, and taking ownership of it is choosing how to feel 
and it's okay. You can still be upset. And, and, and when I have a, a day that puts me back in that sensation of depression or panic or anxiety, um, and people are like, just choose joy. It's like, well, fuck you. I actually <laughs> like, it's actually, my brain is, is struggling right now. Mm-hmm. Um, my brain is tired. And so I can't, but I, I'm going to choose to, to witness this and choose to know that this is a, a, a day. It doesn't need to be another season. Um, but then there are moments where you can make a choice. And if you can, choose it, right? Like if you can choose to love and choose to be grateful for something that happened, it doesn't mean you have to be like super jazzed up that it did, but you can choose to, to see the the purpose in it. Even the things that are just inexplainable and we we just don't, we can't deeply find a reason it's like well there must be it happened so it's got to be i think one of the things that people love to say when something shitty happens is like oh it happened for a reason right like if i (laughs) stop me from just backhanding the next person who says that but at the same time like i do think as humans we're really good at finding finding meaning for the things that happen that's the that's what makes us human beings like Dogs don't have the ability to find meaning in something. They just see it and it happens. Like we, we actually get to put energy around situations and it's beautiful. It can be painful. Um, yeah, everything happens for a reason. Okay. <laughs> um, but also like if you, if we want to have faith in, in our humanity, then I think you do have to believe that. Otherwise it's pretty sad to just, Damn. Yeah, so I think I think the universe is incredibly random. I don't think it actually like the physical universe doesn't really care about us that much. I think there's a whole spiritual universe that has a whole thing going on that we can't even really begin to fathom. But I think that what's beautiful about us as humans, which you're just kind of touching on, is like things happen. They can be difficult. They can be painful. They can be you know unexpected and disappointing and whatever. But we can find our way through and and that transition into what's through and what's on the other side is what starts to give the things meaning. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I know for you, the the few months after Lee's passing, I'm sure that when somebody said that, you're like, how could there be a reason here? But now you're starting to see it a little bit more clear, or I hope so. And for me, right when I got out of treatment or or even just a few months after, I still didn't see the reason in, you know, having found a soulmate, not being with him anymore, no longer having a career that I worked super hard for. Um, I still don't, I'm so processing and working through my family reasoning, why I was put into this lineage. I'm understanding that I get to make a difference. I get to change the way that I behave with my children. Um, but that's only recent of like really understanding. So you're right. Like getting to the other side is the reason. And we actually don't, we don't get to see the reason if we don't keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big one. I mean, just to be clear, like I don't think there's a reason that Lee passed. I think Mm -hmm. it was, it was tragic and kind of nonsensical, but the reason that I'm finding in it is that if this happened, like I want to make sure that you know, it hopefully doesn't happen to even one less person, mm-hmm. you know, and so having these conversations and, and trying to share them is, is me finding my own meaning in it rather okay. than you know, it being the meaning, the reason that it happens. I think there's, there's also a difference between a reason and a meaning. True. Um, 
and we can create meaning and use things to fuel us and help others. A reason is just, all right. What is, now I'm actually like, what is the def, what is the definition of a reason? I think a reason is, is causational, right? Like the reason that that fell over is because you pushed it. Mm. You know, I, I think the reason that Lee died is because she was struggling with her mental health and, and she, she couldn't fight that battle anymore. Um, and there's a million supplemental reasons. Um, but that's the main one is that she got sick and, and she, she couldn't fight it. The meaning is what we assign. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the meaning is, is like we said, you know, for me, it's, it's finding a way to communicate and connect and, and share with other people. You know, you talked about the power of vulnerability earlier and I actually kind of want to like circle back to that a little bit, but, um, you know, sharing online and sharing pain specifically is, is a weird world. And I did it initially out of not really knowing what else to do. Um, it was just, I needed to, I needed an outlet. I needed to try and honor her memory. I needed to hopefully educate. Like I was feeling so much pressure. Like it was my first time, um, being in the world of suicide, um, for a suicide that actually occurred. Um, and it just, it panicked me. It scared the shit out of me. I was just like, how is this something that people are dealing with constantly? And if I can share anything to, to help make people maybe feel less alone then like, I want to do it. So that was kind of like driving me there. But then you find yourself in a place where like, like, I don't want to be the sad guy. Like, I don't want to be the guy who just talks about grief. Like, I have a life that actually has some really beautiful moments and is complex and multifaceted and changes all the time. And, and you know, the th I think the thing about social media is, like, people kind of find one thing that you do and then they expect to see that from you all the time. And and so I think with, with sharing vulnerability, I don't, I'll let you speak for yourself, but, like, I get to a point sometimes where I'm just like, all right, I need a break. And like, I know I do this to like make it okay for other people to, to speak and to share their truth. But sometimes I just need to, to push pause. Um, so that's not really a question. But. Yeah, no, but it does. We are, are in a culture though of, of highlighting vulnerability and it can be a little dangerous because most people can experience vulnerability hangover if they're just constantly sharing or trying to dig something up. And, um, it's beautiful to share, but we also have to honor ourselves and, and are we sharing too much? Can we share, especially with social media? Like I find, um, share with your close people always like that is, that is baseline necessity in order to survive. Not everything needs to be shared. And what I think that I've done a good job of recently, and this is just the past few years, I'm able to share things without being specific. Mm. So how can you share an emotion or what you're feeling um, without like going too deep and sharing exactly what happened and what you, what was going on? Uh, some of that needs to stay private and sacred. Mm. Like the, the hundreds of thousands of people that I have on social media aren't my best friends. I could feel really connected to them. They can feel really connected to me, but I can, I can, you know, I actually, I, I created this for myself when I came out of treatment and it's, I, I used to use it all the time and now I'm saying it, so I'm going to use it again. But I asked myself, is this a give or a validation? 
Mm. So if I'm posting something on social media, am I giving to others? Am I, am I actually doing something that's going to support their journey? Am I even giving to myself where this is going to feel very cathartic? Or is it a validation? Am I putting something up to validate something icky that I'm feeling? Am I trying to validate somebody else's opinion of me? And it doesn't always work, but if I'm, if I'm sharing something that's vulnerable, am I trying to validate something about it? Or am I actually sharing because it's going to help? That's such a great kind of lens to look at it through. I'm, I'm definitely going to borrow that one. Give or validate. Um, so talking about coming through the other side, you know, you, you mentioned coming out of treatment and, um, kind of immediately jumping back into, to old habits. Like obviously that didn't work, but w- what did work? What, what did start helping you, you get back to, to this new Alexandra 2.0? I started saying yes to joy. Mm. I was, I turned 30 and I was like, I want to say yes to everything. So I came out of treatment, um, I turned 28 in uh, how 2020. I turned 28. Okay, that's when I came out. I had my 29th birthday for 2021, and then 20. I was still really trying to be the old version of myself in all of 2021. This was me trying to make the app. Um, still living in New York, I was writing a memoir, which I'm happy that I did but that was still a part of this achievement. And then I turned 30 in 2022 and I still wasn't feeling myself. And I do think that when you turn 30, there's this portal that you walk through where it's like, whoa, I actually like kind of like who I am, even if I'm unsure about who I am, but like, I kind of fuck with this person. Like I'm I'm down, (laughs) I'm down to like be with her for whatever she's going through. And so I turned 30 and had that feeling. And I was like, I'm just going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. The whole year. I showed you my tattoo. No, know, what does it say? Do you know I have a... What do you have? Yes. Says, yes, it says yes. Yes. I mean, have, boundaries, have no. I, have I showed you my other one? Does it say no? No. Yeah, no. <laughs> Jordan has a yes on the back of his tricep and a nope on the other bicep, which is perfect. Um, but I needed a year of yes. And I needed a year of yes that was like, I'm not saying yes because I think that I should. Um, I'm saying yes because it, it actually, like something's like, kind of exciting and a little mysterious about it. And so I started spending time with another group of people that I had been orbiting for a little bit. Um, they're, they're actually the founders of Daybreaker, which is a sober morning dance party that I taught at years ago. And they have a beautiful network of humans. And I went to my first, I've traveled for a Daybreaker. I, I traveled to Red Rocks for their Daybreaker in April, the month after my birthday. And it was the first time I was like, I don't really know anyone who's going to be there. I know them, but sure, I'll I'll book a plane ticket to go party in Red Rocks. Like, sure. And By the way, I would, I would book a plane ticket almost anywhere that Eli <laughs> and Rada were going to be. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I've now started doing that. But um, I said yes to that. And then very quickly, I started... I don't want to say being rewarded, but opportunities just kept coming my way. I got an invitation to teach... Uh, with Louis Vuitton in San Diego, which my, my ego got really excited about. But I also had an opportunity during that trip to go through LA and then go to Joshua Tree for a brand partnership. And it was this glamping experience in Joshua Tree, but it, it led me to LA. And while I was there, I connected with Minaj Diaz, who is now uh, my 
my teammate and boss at Open, which is the company that I work at. We're a mindfulness studio and digital app. And I, I, I met him and we started talking about what I do, Flow Into Strong, and my method of bringing yoga and strength together. And it really was vibing with the method at Open. Unfortunately, they weren't able to, to hire me yet. But So I said yes. I met this new group of friends here in L.A., um, I was at a party with one of my best friends who's now my best friend now, but I didn't know her then. I was like laying on her in her cuddle puddle and I'd never been in a cuddle puddle before. <laughs> and I'm staring up at this like starry sky with these lights that she had in her house. And I just kept saying yes to invitations from new people. It was like, come to my birthday party, come to my ceremony, my plant ceremony, come to this trip, do this, do that. And I was like, wow. And the majority of the yeses were bringing me to LA. And so I was going back and forth from LA. I'm sorry, excuse me. I was going back and forth from New York to LA. And just the, the the yes was starting to create a life that I didn't see for myself in New York. If I had created the life or went into the life that I thought I was going to have, I was going to just build a fitness app or get hired by another fitness company in New York or um, die hard New Yorker. Yeah, and the yeses just kept leading me to a life that I never saw for myself, which was out in L.A. And uh, what's beautiful, though, is I'm now working for a company doing a similar thing that I've done. My whole, I built my whole career off of, which is being an on-camera instructor, teaching strength, but blending it with mindfulness. And it just didn't look the way that I thought it was going to look. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm on the other side, but I, I don't know what's next. And what's so cool is I now realize... I could have never created this. I could have never seen this. And that's the beautiful thing about a dream life is it's sometimes we don't even see it. It's just, it's there for us, but we have to keep leaning into things that feel like interesting and scary and moving across the country was a big whoa for me. Um, but it's allowed me to, to step into a life that I didn't know was possible. I, th- I think that <laughs> I know I do this frequently I'm thinking about a big thing you're thinking about all the ways that it can go wrong you're like what if what if it doesn't work out or what if I don't like the people who are there what if I you know feel awkward you know showing up and not knowing anyone and what we don't give enough credit to or create enough space for is like what if it goes better than you think <laughs> you know what if what if I go and like everyone there is just amazing what if I move to a new place and it opens like all these opportunities for me um, and so I, I have to consciously remind myself that quite a bit, but it sounds like you're you're starting to find that too. Mm-hmm. And oh, I just had a thought and I, was, I lost it. Um, oh, well, I did say yes, and I did move across the country. And when I got here, you know, they say wherever you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. My mental health stuff started coming back up mm. because I created my space, and um, now I'm this is where we come back with the boundaries of, um, having boundaries for myself of, of dedicating time to be alone in my space and actually be comfortable in my own solitude, which was something that I was actually really covering up with saying yes to all the things Mm -hmm. I went from being alone, being in my head to then saying yes and running around and meeting all these new people and in the excitement of something new. And then when that starts to settle down and we have these ebbs and flows in life, um, 
learning how to not go back all the way down low when things start to level out. That I think is mastering your mental health is, mm-hmm. is recognizing that leveling out is actually not a negative thing. And life is not going to be a consistent series of peaks all the time. That would be amazing. And sometimes life can be that, but when it levels out, knowing that you're still okay, like the leveling out is actually a peak because it means that you're you're stable, you're doing good, you're, you're okay. And it also includes the sadness. Um, and so I had a period of that where I was like, whoa, this is not, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm stagnant. Mm -hmm. It's not, there's stagnation is, is, can be, (laughs) you're not stagnant. Leveling out is not stagnant if you're where you're coming from as a high, you know, I think as long as there's movement through it and you're not just at one level the entire time. Right. But it can feel like if, yeah. if we're oh. constantly having these peak life experiences, which is such a blessing. Like I'm so I'm so blessed that I get to even say that I've had those, that. Um, just knowing that the other side's okay. <laughs> Kelly, you're so cute. <laughs> yes, cook girl. She's very well trained. Thank you, Kalima. Just invoking destruction. Apparently gets you a well well trained dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, she's a border collie, so I kind of looked out. Yeah. Um, where were we? Uh, I just mentioned leveling out. We were talking about. Oh out. yeah, leveling out. Um, no, I I love what you just said. I frequently, you know, I also feel fortunate to have had a lot of like peak life experiences, and you move from one to the next, and you think that that's sustainable, and then all of a sudden you're back in your apartment and you have to go grocery shopping and you have to take out the trash (laughs) and you just have to like, you know, show up for work or figure out what that looks like. And you're like, Oh, am I depressed right now? And then you're like, no, I'm actually just like normal. Yeah. I'm actually just like doing the life things like the adulting. Yeah. Um, so true. (laughs) I find that I have a a mixed kind of relationship with like rituals and routines. So like when I'm constantly traveling and having these great experiences, like I have very few routines and like I've lived in that space for a long time. And when I come back to, to home, you're sitting in my home right now, it, it kind of helps set me to have some routine and some ritual. Um, I, I know you have a couple of rituals and, and I'm very curious to, to hear what your, what role those play in your life now and, and with your mental health? What's funny is my rituals are kind of, they feel like the, oh, I'm just doing the thing, the adulting thing, right? Like groceries. I actually love getting groceries, but cooking dinner, making sure that I stay, um, I'm like doing things for myself. I think it's just reminding, like anything that I do as, as a routine or a ritual um, is is benefiting me in some way. If I'm nourishing my body, if I'm getting to sleep, um, one of the biggest rituals though, that I have, um, as my meditation practice and also working with a medicine known as hape, which is tobacco is legal. Um, and I use it with meditation and it resets me and grounds me Mm. immediately. Um, that's an important one for me, but honestly, like being outside, um, I know you're a fan of the cold plunge. I am now. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I was not, and I hate being, I mean, I moved from New York. Like if anyone, if you're listening and you followed me on social media for years, I, 
the winter, like every day, I was just like, what is this craziness? <laughs> and I would also put my stories up and put the, the temperature up in Celsius because I just thought it was more accurate when it's like negative, whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> it was more accurate. Um, the cold plunge has been incredible. We have one at open. And so I, I actually do it before my class because by the way, you should not be doing cold plunge after you lift weights. Hmm. Um, I actually don't know the science behind that, but I, I just have been told not to do that. So I don't, okay. um, how about after yoga or something? Yeah. Less? You're, you're, okay. you're solid. Um, and just after weight training, it's something with, um, uh, your muscles, like creating stress on your muscles, um, and not having an ability, I believe for lactic acid to flow through. Hmm. That's what, that would be my guess. If I'm wrong, don't come for me. Um, but doing something that is really uncomfortable and breathing through it, whoa, that is, that is strength. That is, that is getting through depression and panic. And, um, you know, when I'm in my panics, even though I have the tools to breathe, I forget them or I just get so wrapped up in what I'm feeling. And so the practice of putting myself in a really uncomfortable position of being in super cold water and breathing through it allows me to remember that I have the tools because you don't have a choice. Like you're, you're, you're freaking out. Um, so I definitely, yeah, I love, I love the cold plunge. I, I think it's such a nice microcosm of like a really uncomfortable experience that, you know, you can get through if you just, as you said, breathe. But when I do that to start my day, it just, it feels like, Oh, okay. Everything else is like it just resets the the relative scale of like how tough things are. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, oh, I really don't want to write this email. I'm like, would you rather write the email or like go sit in ice water for three minutes? And you're like, I already did that, so this can't be that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's also, um, you know, three minutes takes a really long time when you're in there. Yeah, you want to slow your life down, getting a yeah. Get a cold. <laughs> and I always think like, when is this going to be over? When is this going to be over? When is this going to be over? And then it's over. And that helps me when I'm going through something that doesn't feel good. And I'm like, when is this going to be over? When is this going to be over? There's going to be an over. Um, I don't think that the pain is always going to last forever. Yeah. I, that has been a lesson for me also recently that nothing, literally nothing lasts, whether you want it to or not. Mm -hmm. And so if it's a bad thing, it's not going to last. If it's a good thing. It's not going to last. And, and all we have is right now. Mm-hmm this moment yeah um what would you tell your your pre-pandemic shiny life self if you could go back and talk to her today i would tell pre-pandemic alexandra who's alex you have no idea how good it's gonna get hmm and I'm still trying to say that to myself now because it keeps getting better. And I'm, I'm certainly in a place in my life where I'm creating space for partnership and the next level of this life experience. And, um, I know that it's still going to keep getting better because I thought that I had all the things that I wanted and turns out it was not at all it. And when you get it then it goes away. And so we can't be super attached to anything, but, um, yeah, just like it keeps getting better. And also you think this is what you want. How do you know? And I, I hope that I, I'm always telling myself that like, you think you want this? Just wait. Hmm. 
how when it comes to to being alone to spending time in your apartment you know i know that was a big thing for you and part of what kind of was a trigger there like are you enjoying that now have you found a a joy in that i'll be honest ish i'm not a big fan of the phrase like you have to be you have to love being alone you have to get really good at being alone before you're with somebody else we're tribal creatures we are like we co-regulate with somebody else and i'm never going to believe that i have to be that i have to be obsessed with spending time by myself um, you have to be okay and you have to survive but i don't think that it's a long-term thing um, but being in solitude is important and it's something it's a constant practice for me in my mental health because it forces me to trust myself mm. and to trust my thoughts and I actually when I'm alone and I'm starting to feel a little uncomfortable I'll talk out loud mm. because you can't have you can't speak more than one thought you can think like a bunch of thoughts and bop around but if I'm actually speaking it out loud I can slow down that pace and then also I can talk to Kali and I don't feel like I'm totally. super alone <laughs> um but yeah I talk I talk out loud to myself um and that makes the being alone better but it's hard and so if you're listening and you feel alone in your space it's okay you're, you don't have to like it but we just have to figure out how to do it until we're not alone I was recently introduced to a term called villaging have you heard of that no but I love it <laughs> Um, so, you know, people are familiar with the idea of a commune, everyone living together. Villaging, I guess it's just like a, a bit of a clarification on that in that everyone has their own space, but you all live collectively. So like a piece of land where everyone has their, their house and maybe there's a communal space where people can come and gather and cook meals and, and hang. And, and that is when I think about like, how much alone do I really want? It's like, yes, I want to be able to go to my room and have some like peace and quiet, but I also want to be able to just like be in community same yeah i need to recharge but by the way you know our community is working on that yeah like there's going to be an la <laughs> village <laughs> or not la but california and our just our little world i'm very excited for that Cali yeah california costa rica like yeah know, like, it is what? happening <laughs> um who who do you look up to these days this is such a hard question for me the role model question the um myself like I definitely have people that I've that I follow that I find inspirational um I have mentors who I like learning from um many of them are friends mm. um I look up to the strong women in my life um the ones who can hold a lot and I look up to myself and in, in like the highest version of myself because I've, I've accessed her a few times and I, she is who I keep moving towards. So, um, without sounding very Aries like and, and into myself, I'm, yeah, I look up to myself and I'm proud of myself. Yeah. I mean, you've been through a lot and it's, it's frankly, I mean, inspiration is kind of a, gets thrown around a lot, but like, being able to have these conversations, being able to sit with people who have really like kind of sat in it and just taken a hard look at who they are and 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 rebuilt their lives in both a 
let's do anything we can to get out of here, but also like in an intentional way. It's just, it's a real honor. And, and I see that very presently in you. Thank you. We're still building. Yeah, Always of course. Building. The idea of, of, well, actually, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. So, I think that we're always building, right? Like I, I described recently, um, you know, we, we don't get to, we can't do anything to stop like the earthquake when you can just kind of look around and you can see what pieces are left and you can rebuild. Um, I think that that process is ongoing. I don't think that you are ever done. I think that there are constant tremors that come through and they'll, they'll rattle something and they'll just, you know, really, you know, maybe this is like gilding the lily, but like they kind of expose where the weaknesses are as long as they don't completely destroy you. Right. So if, if you're, you're moving through life and you, you feel like you're good and something happens, like what's shaking is actually what needs fixing or what needs attention. I shouldn't say it needs fixing because that's, that's a loaded term, but it's what could use attention. And maybe it like shakes out an old version of yourself and it creates space for, for something new. Yeah, that is such a great way to look at anytime I feel like I'm getting back into some sort of, of my mental health struggle. Um, and something happened recently that was a very minor thing, but it unlocked a lot of work that I hadn't looked at in a long time and a lot of shadow and deeper trauma that I was also covering up with being busy and in my move and new people. And yeah, it showed exactly where the cracks were because if, if like something that small that really didn't relate to, to the deeper trauma could set me off, then something else would have. And, um, instead of thinking of it as like being tricked, instead of thinking of it as being a, a triggered, I think it's, they're just like little life checks. Hmm. You just get to check in with yourself when things like that happen. And, um, we're always, we're constantly building, replacing. If you have a house, like you, you have to replace things. Yeah. You do like it's called maintenance. <laughs> yeah. You have to maintenance and you have to take. And, and so we're, we're never, again, like I said earlier, like I don't believe in the concept of being healed. It's just constant maintenance. I'm really glad you brought that up. I, I've been working through this um, in my own life, my own process, which is I feel like there's this kind of constant focus on healing, right? Like, and what we just said is obvious, like everyone has cracks, everyone has weak spaces or things that could use attention. I think one thing I'm trying to be more cognizant of is to to give healing a place, but to not make it an everyday, every action thing, because at some point, like you just need to live your life. It's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. It's exhausting to like always be in the, the digging and the work and the ceremony and the therapy. And, um, even sometimes like taking a break from like a meditation practice. I'm not saying for a long, but like, just like, letting go and just existing. Um, yeah, I can definitely get, you can get addicted to, to excavating all of the trauma. And I think life is a ceremony. <laughs> like if you just are leaning into yes and play and joy and, and also like pleasure and some like the darker parts of the, not, not the dark, like mental health dark, but like the dark, like behind the curtain type of thing. Um, that is 
it is ceremony without having to have it be so deep. Like you're learning and growing no matter what you're doing and just relaxing into the experience is, is so good. (laughs) Yeah. Where, where are you finding that, that release, that letting go, that, that joy in the play? Play in play. Um, I haven't been able to fully figure out how to share this on social media, but getting more into or exploring my sexuality and, and play settings and the kink world and BDSM, like these are, I know touchy topics for some people listening, but for me, they've been so therapeutic because it dismantles all of the expectations of what I thought or who I was supposed to be, what I thought I liked and how I was supposed to go about interrelating and being able to just be weird and playful and free is has, is letting me kind of work through some of these deeper traumatic experiences without actually having to talk about them or think about them because I'm just I'm just surrendering to desire and and curiosity. And I imagine as someone who's you know so in your physical body, like it's it's a, another somatic practice, right? That's non-prescriptive. Yeah, where you know, doing a yoga practice or lifting weights, you know, there's an, I, I know how to do it. And I, I know how to do an Ashtanga sequence or Surya Namaskar. I know how to sequence a vinyasa class. I know how to, you know, if I want to get stronger on my squat, I know how to program a, a, a cycle. Um, all of that makes sense. It's like A plus B equals C. When it comes to desire and play and things that are just a little novel, it's, is that the right word? Yeah, novel. novel to you. Yeah. Um, there's no formula. Yeah, there's no right answer. There's no right answer. Things can feel good. Things can be weird. And even just like, um, I also used to feel like the only way to be good or to be healthy is if I got my eight hours of sleep and um, did my morning routine. Sure, that's great 80% of the time, but the other 20% is full life and, and just, yeah, just like doing it. And someone once said to me, um, memories aren't made with eight hours of sleep. And I was like, at first I was like, ah, but I, but I need, I need my rest. (laughs) Then I was like, wait, no, like, like just letting go of, of, of how you're supposed to do things or should creates the magic. Yeah, I mean, I remember hearing this, but, um, you know, no one remembers the nights that you got eight hours of sleep. Right, it's, it's safety, exactly. <laughs> like, like, they, you remember the, the sunrises and, and all the the adventures. Um, but I think what you said is, is great. There's there's 80-20, you know, it's like you build, build a foundation of good, healthy habits, and then you create space to, to break them and, yeah. and to follow your joy. Yep. You know, I think that's so important. And curiosity. Like I know what it feels like to to do all the things that I'm supposed to do, and um, and I also know what it feels like, you know, when when I think back to my relationship or my job, of like I know what it feels like to to get to the top career. I know what it feels like to to be engaged to somebody that we look so good together. Now I'm curious, like what is what is it like if I don't do those things, or what if it's like if I lean into to desire in a, in a setting that I've never been in before. I don't know what it feels like, so I'm going to see what happens. And I think what's so important in, in that 
exploration is just trusting your intuition and, and trusting into like, what does it feel good? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Which al- allows you to practice knowing yourself in your gut, what actually feels aligned and what are you just trying to, cause in those spaces you can also do what you think you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not actually in alignment of curiosity and play. Yeah. And I think even more what that teaches you is that when the script gets thrown out the window, you're not alone. Like you have your intuition and you know how to trust it. You've been in situations where that's the only thing you had to trust. And so you're like, okay, well we're ad living here, but yeah, Yeah. I I think it's going to work out. All right. Yeah, exactly. (sighs) Um, well, I so appreciate you being here. I so appreciate you sharing. Callie is a big fan of, of the house and clicking around and so happy to have her here too. Um, is there anything that we haven't chatted about that uh, that you want to chat about? I just want to say thank you. Thanks for being so open about your story, about Lee's story. Um, I know as somebody who got really close to making that decision that it's important to hear stories of people who did and people who, who didn't make that choice, you know, um, it doesn't mean one's right or wrong. I just think it's really important to hear that the story regardless so that whatever somebody's feeling, they know that it's, it's normal. Nothing's wrong. Um, so I'm just in deep gratitude for you for creating this space, um, for those stories to come forth. Thank you. Well, I think a lot of people are, are going to appreciate what you have to say and, and you come from such a lived experience and just as your friend, it's, it's amazing to, to see the constant, constant evolution. Um, so rooting for you. Thanks. And we're just getting started. I know. And I keep, I keep telling myself all the time, like, it's just, we're just getting started. Just getting started. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Love you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to another episode of Never the Same. You can find more episodes as well as some supplemental media and some of my writing over at neverthesame.substack.com. I post occasionally on Instagram under my name, at Jordan P. Chu, C-H-I-U. Really appreciate the support. See you guys for the next one. Till then.